Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show. Short week, so we got a lot of work done yesterday, just in the week to get ready for a Friday night game. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. The Huskers had uh, trouble getting out of the tunnel walk last week. The garage door wouldn't open up, and the way that we played, kind of upset that it did. So. <laughs> uh, uh, I am also with Boomer. Well, Honky, I know you know as bad as the Huskers played, at least we always have the rest of the Big Ten West to really lift our spirits. And God, That's this right. is a dumpster fire of a division. Can we just like call yep. it now and nobody wins? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's right. And also with uh, Talon, Red Gas Strong. Can we just appreciate how nice the weather's been the last couple of days? I'm not ready for the cold, so. There you go. That's there good. There you go. That's, that's it. When things go bad in football, you turn your attention to right. things like fall weather, right? You know? <laughs> the meteorology is the, the other passion of the Red Cast. So. Yes, oh, is. yeah, absolutely. You guys are mm-hmm. always tracking storms out there and whatnot. I'm yeah. Um, well, you know, Honky, um, Matt Rule said that the players uh, were kind of hesitant uh, against Michigan. I don't want to be hesitant today with the uh, the red cast, um, but I think uh, we've got lots to talk about. Um, really enjoyed um, Matt's rule yesterday with, uh, with you and Mac breaking down the game. And there's been obviously a lot to talk about um, with a, a 45 to 7 loss to Michigan. Uh, having everyone kind of maybe uh, rethink expectations or m- maybe not. Right. I mean, since that mm-hmm. I actually, and I don't think it's apathy, but maybe ever the, everybody else perceives it as apathy. I, I didn't, I wasn't that surprised, I guess. So mm-hmm. let's start there, I guess. I mean, honky, I mean, uh, were you surprised with the outcome from Saturday's game? Uh, you know, I said it last night, I was surprised by maybe the lack of competitiveness right from the get go. You know, if you'd have told me, hey, it's going to be a three-quarter game or, you know, we're going to be able to hold them to X amount of rushing yards or whatever. But I was I was surprised at just the complete and total dominance that Michigan pretty much had the whole game. So that part, I'll call that a surprise. I think that to some extent, I think uh, Coach Rule was surprised too. And and uh, Coach Rule, right away, I mean, he he's you're moving on to the next game and they have a hard practice right away on Sunday. And this is – we're going to get better from this. That, that's his – that's his approach to it. And so, and I think he was disappointed in how, and how, you know, severely they were beat by, by Michigan. I mean, I think that he was hoping they'd put up a little bit more fight than that. So I wasn't surprised by the loss. I wasn't even surprised by the, the a point total being larger than I wanted to see, but how it got to that. Yeah. I was probably a little bit, of, a little bit of surprise. Yeah. I mean, I think disappointment's a, a fair word to use boomer, right? Mm-hmm. But it, I, I think, it's one of those things where, uh, even though I don't think if we played Michigan a hundred times, uh, we we might you know give them a run of a, a, a few of those one hundred chances at them. Um, it, there's a there's a lot that goes into each game, and and even just simply the difference between a forty five seven and somewhere where I thought maybe it was going to be like thirty four to thirteen or something like that, you know, um, is a few plays, right? And you know, um, the, the tip ball that Harburg has that's picked off and gives them a short field early is exactly a recipe for us being down 14 nothing, um early in the first quarter. Us 
not converting on a third and short and then ultimately a fourth and short within the red zone is also another way to get down 21 or 28 nothing. Whereas a couple different plays and maybe that game is 21 seven and a half and ends up 34 to 13, right? We missed a field goal. We could have had another score there. We ended up getting a score late. I just feel like Boomer that, I mean, when when these type of games happen, um, what's the difference between 34 13 and 45 7, right? I mean, it is you know, hard for me to distinguish sometimes. Yeah, I think it kind of depends. I mean, you, you'd said it right. You know, we didn't get off to a start we wanted. That was my key to the game was getting off to a fast start. And one mm. team did get off to a fast start, and it sure as heck wasn't <laughs> us. And, you know, that just let everything get away from it. The crowd got deflated basically after the first two series. And then, you know, we know what happened at halftime. It was pretty, you know, fairly sparse after that. Um, and and I agree with Honky that it was depressing, just kind of the, the lack of competitiveness to it. Um, you know, you know, you kind of talk about does the margin of defeat matter? It, you know, I thought we'd keep it closer than that. You know, I didn't have any grand illusions of us winning the game, but I thought, you know, we could keep it within a couple scores. You know, especially like Honky said, if you can make it a third quarter game or a fourth quarter game. You, you know, the depressing part about it is if you compare the two teams, Rutgers played Michigan far more competitively than Nebraska did. That game was, what, 14-7 to at half? I mean, the, the final margin was similar. It was wide, yeah. but okay. you know, Rutgers could at least look at that and say, hey, we were – close for half the game and could have had could have been tied easily at half at that game so i think that's and, where my and, biggest disappointment is but how how did it get to 14 to 7 right they they had they got seven points on a, a one quick slant pass that that michigan didn't defend well kind of like how they gave up a a 74 yard run in the fourth quarter against us they didn't defend well i'm sure they're not happy with either of those plays but one happened in the first quarter and one happened in the fourth and and then they actually had a, a punt return. Rutgers had a punt return in that game, didn't they, early? I could have put them up 14 nothing. They got called back, actually. Um, yeah, so, and they missed a field so goal, it was just, too. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they were there so, I mean, like, Rutgers had. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying that I don't – the difference between us being down 28 nothing and Rutgers 14-7, it sounds completely different. Be honestly, I don't think Michigan was going to lose that Rutgers team either, right? They didn't. They weren't quite as sharp oh, no. and all that type of stuff. Talon, you, you – you watch lots of college football um, and uh, watch a lot of good college football because you follow um, the Alabamas, Georgias, Oregon's of the world. Uh, how does this Michigan team kind of stack up to those those types of teams this year? Well, I think it's pretty evident that you know they have one of the best offensive lines in the country. Um, you know, obviously coming off of back to back college football playoff appearances, I think this is actually their deepest roster they've ever had. I mean, they play eight deep on the on the defensive line. They have two running backs. They have yeah. three guys they can get the ball to. J.J. McCarthy's in his second year being the full-time guy. I just think this is the year where I think Jim Harbaugh is really trying to put it all together and, and get over that hump of getting over the semifinal game, right? Um, you know, yeah. I, I, think, I think ultimately I don't think there's really anyone in that conference that can compete with them besides Penn State. I like – I think Ohio State's got a lot of talent, but I don't think – to match, I don't. Penn State's the only team that I think can match Michigan, like physicality-wise. Right. You know, defense to defense, I think that would be the only team in the Big Ten who has a shot at really, you know, containing that offense, containing that run game. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think Michigan's for real, um, and ultimately, I think they should be ranked number one in the country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they probably have as good of a resume as anyone else out there right now. Well, we'll find out if Penn State or Ohio State 
um, can give uh, Michigan a, a run for their money in the East. But to hockey's point, the West is wide open, and we'll maybe talk about that a little bit as we go. But, um, Honk, I think we have got uh, some Tweets of the Week and Mailbag, right? Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's start with the uh, Tweets of the Week. And uh, the first one here was uh, volleyball. Uh, they had five consecutive wins against uh, ranked opponents. It's the first time in program history uh, that that's happened. A great run that they've been on. And uh, they finished that last week with a, a sweep out there in Indiana. I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch any of the games, but uh, a great, great couple of uh, wins there by them. Uh, and that gets followed up by, I thought this was a, a pretty cool photo. And it was during that volleyball game, uh, the men's team, they were uh, getting ready for, I think it was the Friday night practice that they were doing. And they were watching the game from the, the, uh, locker room. And I just think that's a really cool thing. I love it when different teams within the, the athletic department are supporting other teams. And so here are the men's, uh, the men's basketball program uh, supporting the volleyball. So I thought that was a, a really cool tweet. And that leads us into a basketball one and bring that up here. And it was Andy Katz. He had his best shooters in the country. And Dave thought maybe you'd, you'd like this one. Best shooters in the country. And right there, number one, Casey Tominaga, Nebraska. That's national. So uh, what are your thoughts when you look at that list? Yeah, well, I mean, from a pure shooter standpoint, I, I don't know if he's wrong, right? I mean, how does that translate to uh, points per game or or wins for Fred Hoiberg's team? I don't know. But um, I think, you know, if you look at uh, Casey played in the World Basketball um championships this summer um and was an uh, intricate part of that japanese team that got their first victory versus a european squad um i mean that was a really really interesting and fun thing to watch he's, he's he plays at a very high level against nba players right now mm-hmm. right he did it this summer um can he take that and translate that and be a all big 10 uh scoring guard in the big 10 is is what we want to see right you know and mm-hmm. we saw a little bit of that at the end of last year and and maybe this will continue on and he, that's what he wants to do so he can get drafted and realize his dream of the nba so i yeah. hope that well, list is right yeah it's cool to see him getting that national recognition and you feel coming into the season that at least we have the best returning unit that hoiberg's had maybe in his five years is what he has kind of returning right now that he actually, you, you know, some of the names that they got some of the right pieces, I hope in the, uh, in the portal, but between Wiltshire and, and obviously Tominaga being back and, you know, you've got some guy Lawrence, you've got some guys that have some experience coming that, that were doing well at the end of last season during that stretch. So hopefully we can get off to a, a quick start. How many times have we heard that in, in all of our sports, yeah. but uh, yeah, that mean, would be the, yeah, it's not a perfect roster, but mm-hmm. uh, to your point, it's the, probably the the best that Hoiberg has um, going, in, at least from a proven uh, standpoint. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a pretty light non-conference this year, um, mm-hmm. so hopefully that does result in a, in a good start, at least in the win column, and then they can build from there. I did want to note, um, I was watching uh, football on Saturday night at a sports bar with my buddy Chris, and there were all football games on except Nebraska, Indiana volleyball was on. Um, so that was pretty cool. Like we're in downtown, um, downtown Denver. Uh, the, it was the Oregon bar and the Florida bar that, you know, pretty well honky and mm-hmm. we're watching all the night games and there's, there's Nebraska, Indiana, which was a little sketch, you know, scary at times. Um, but it was pretty cool to see volleyball there along with all the other football games. Absolutely. 
Well, next one that we have up here, and this kind of can lead us to the next conversation. We even have a couple questions right now in the uh, in the comments that are about grandfather clauses and all these things that are going to be going on with Memorial Stadium. But uh, this tweet was from Mitch Sherman, and it was the we really haven't had a chance because it came out last Thursday, so we haven't as a Redcast had a chance to talk about all the stadium stuff. But uh, Mitch Sherman had current capacity of Memorial Stadium after the recent seat widening on east and west sides is 82,841. The expected capacity in 2025, roughly 61,000. That's after they obviously would take down South Stadium. The expected capacity upon completion of the project is about 73,000 to 75,000. So roughly somewhere between seven to 8,000 less than what they have right now. And then the attendance figures add an additional four to 4,500 for staff, media, and et cetera. So, you know, you can look at that. And if let's say the capacity is 75,000, you could conceivably maybe on the really, really big game, maybe we could get up to 80,000 if there was 5,000 people there that were staff, media, and so on. Like the biggest game, maybe we could have an 80,000 number, but we'd be somewhere upper 70s probably would be kind of a a normal capacity moving forward. Uh, The other thing that I wanted to, along the same discussion line, um, uh, Caleb Henry here talked about the sellout streak includes Memorial Stadium at capacities of uh, starting in 1923, it was back when it was 31,000. Then it was up to 48,000 in 1964. Got up to 52,000, 65, 62,000, 66. I mean, it, it goes on. There's about 10 different uh, numbers all the way up to 88,047 was the biggest it was. That was in 2015 to 16, and it's kind of gone down a little bit since then. But Memorial Stadium has sold out regardless of, of the size of the stadium there. So anyways, uh, we haven't really had a chance to talk much about it. Uh, we have questions in the in the comments about grandfather clauses. Uh, that honestly, I think Kurt Payne here asked, uh, "Can you guys explain the grandfather system we have with season ticket holders? How will that uh, how will that going away impact uh, fans?" I don't know a lot of answers to that, but uh, let's just talk for a second. Let, you know, what were your thoughts when you heard uh, the the four hundred fifty million dollar uh, expansion project that Trev was talking about, Dave? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we kind of predicted this. And in fact, some of the mm-hmm. very basic renderings that we saw reminded me of, of Honky trying to, to visualize a, a, a South Stadium that's stacked upon it, itself, uh, like other uh, big football stadiums around the country are. So, I mean, it, it's this is no surprise. South End Zone has been the rumored uh, renovation project for a long time. I, a little surprise, maybe, than the timing of the announcement, right? Um, and, you know, I mean, we'll figure out what the attendance is. You're right. I mean, it is it is odd that it I mean, we're going to go down in, in seats, but we're going to have chair backs, if I'm hearing right, east, west, and south, all all seats in those three of, uh, portions of the stadium. It's almost mm-hmm. unprecedented at the college level, right? It just doesn't happen um, to have that many. Typically, you have bench seating in a higher percentage than that. So that's going to be interesting to, to see. The 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 total attendance being around eighty thousand probably sounds about right. When we were kids, it was seventy six thousand, um, mm-hmm. and um, you know, getting up to the ninety one thousand was always really cool. But a lot of that was um, uh, the media anyway, right? So I guess we'll we'll continue to see that. I guess I'll I'll, I'll talk uh, ask Talon, who is probably as a student sitting in the south end zone. Is that right, Talon? Yes. Right. And and you are going to be there 
for a few more years, at least next year, you'll have the same seats, but then potentially you're going to be impacted by this. How are they going to handle the, the student section during the, at least the one year of construction, right? Uh, yeah, you know, maybe they move it to, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really know. Maybe they move it to, <laughs> to the north end zone for, for a season, you know? I mean, maybe they do that or, you know, just to keep that, you know, your, your students in one part of the end zone. I, I don't know. I mean, that's kind mm-hmm. of weird. Yeah. Boomer, yeah. I'm curious, just really quick, Conk, um, mm-hmm. and you can answer this too, but I mean, like, <clears throat> clearly they aren't completely selling out the stadium with season ticket packages because over the summer, you you know, would still get emails saying, hey, a three ticket package to these games or that games or games or and tickets are available for Northern Illinois, etc. Like how much we, we don't know, right? Everybody just presumes that 22,000 people are being displaced. Um, for at least that one season as the South Stadium gets rebuilt, maybe it's two. I, I'm curious on how much how much extra seats they've got for those folks on a temporary basis just to move them because it, they're still selling. seems like thousands of extra seats on a week-by-week basis. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, you know, I can't imagine they have 22,000 extra seats on a week-by-week basis. No, and, no, but it's – And like you said, a, a good percentage of that South Stadium is students. So, you know, that's also something that's, yeah. you know – you. Yeah, accounted for as well. So, yeah, I don't know exactly what percentage of season ticket holders in South Stadium. I've never seen that announced. Has anyone ever seen that number anywhere? How many of those South seats are? are That's a good question. Yeah, that, how many be season ticket holders, non-student season ticket yeah. holders, are in the South, in South Stadium. Stadium? I'd be yeah. curious to know the actual numbers of that. And and some people did uh, bring up the whole grandfather ticketing, and you know that's something Trav talked about. And there were studies done. It's just how far. Just uh, how many grandfathered season tickets we have at Nebraska compared to other programs, and it's very extensive. I mean, they said it's you know numbers of thousands of you know season ticket holders had grandfathered pricing on that. Some paying you know nothing essentially for their you know donations <laughs> and seat licenses, and and I've heard from some season ticket holders that that annoys them, and I can see that if you're paying you know two hundred dollars, two thousand dollars for some of those seats, and the guy mm-hmm. next to you is just paying zero. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I can see that ruffling some feathers here and there. You know what they're going to do going forward on that. You know they're going to reshuffle that that ticket pricing and you know get rid of that. I mean, most of the teams, the Big Ten, were nowhere near what we have in terms of that. I think I think in their study they said like Iowa was the next closest with a couple hundred grandfathered in tickets, and then places like Ohio <laughs> State and Penn State don't have any. They don't have any of those grandfathered yeah. tickets in. So that's you know definitely something changing how we sell tickets and how we bring it into, you know, the more modern era of football. And then, you know, on top of that, the other big question with how they deal with season tickets going forward is usually they base your priority of being able to get tickets based on your past donations, you know, like your seat licenses and all that stuff. You get a certain amount of points and whoever has more points gets to, you know, choose their seats first. And that's going to be a big question. And I don't envy how, you know, Trav and everyone's going to figure out what do you do with these grandfathered tickets that they have had no donations or seat licenses over the last decades. I mean, they may have had the tickets for that long, but they haven't had to make any donations. So how do you work that in? And, you know, I know they've mentioned that's something they're going to have to figure out and they don't have an answer for that yet. And I don't either. And I don't envy them figuring that out. That's why they get paid Mm -hmm. the big money. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, I sit in faculty staff section and that's in seat section one. I think we're like sections one through four, if I remember right. And I know we have areas in the North stadium too. I think no doubt we'll have our areas of our tickets that would be impacted during this. And it's going to have to kind of be a collective effort. I think across the board is how to, how do you fit 
some people, move some people around, or maybe do you give, you know, do you do half season tickets for some people and half season tickets for others so that, you know, because one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to get people too comfortable with not going to the stadium for a season or two. Yeah. You know, Hey, you know, take off the next year or two and then uh, you'll come back and and keep paying us and, and sit in the new stadium. Well, you give a pe- people a couple of years, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you know what? We got used to not going to games, so yep, they got to yep. kind of, they've got to play it the, the right way. And, and it would be very helpful if during that year or two, if it's twenty twenty five and twenty six, it'd be very helpful if we were doing well on the football field during that time too. So, uh, you, you know, stay. that's really that yeah. wouldn't. And I will hurt. say, Talon, when we were going to school, they had threatened to move us all to the uh, upper balcony. You know, if we would, st- if we weren't going to start standing on the bleachers during games. So maybe they'll just stuff yes. all you guys up there now out of the, out of the way. So no worries. Yeah. There. When we were I in college, the balcony. they actually had like, like season ticket holder or older fans were sitting behind students. So we'd be standing mm-hmm. the whole game. And I can remember, you know, people behind us, you know, yelling at us to sit down and all that. And it was one of the things that always stuck in my head. And so when we talked about on this show months ago, we were like, whatever they do at the South stadium, create a designated student section. And that's exactly what they're talking about doing right off the field, the entire South bottom, you know, whatever that's going to be, if it's 30 rows, let's say, and from, you know, from East to West uh, along the South side, it's all going to be student section. Uh, It can be benches. It it doesn't need to be a seat back in that area. And they can all be standing and be as loud as they want and have the band right there. And behind them would be a concourse, hopefully with a bar area, a lounge area. And then you have double decker of, of, uh, you know, second, third, and fourth uh, rows of, of seats above them, uh, sections of seats and balconies. And, and you know, I think that would be a very normal-looking stadium today. And it's something that's going to yeah. connect east and west together on multiple concourses. So they'll be able to connect even the, the sky box levels from west to east. So I think that's important. But the last pillar that, that Trev also talked about was keeping this affordable. Well, how do you do that when you, you know, we've made everything seat backs and all that? Well, on the north side, they're going to maintain that as as benches. And I think the number they said, if I remember right, was 8,000 seats on the north side. They want to keep as no donations at all. So, you know, they're not the prime mm-hmm. seats, but, but it's a way to keep uh, very affordable the tickets for at least 8,000 of the tickets that are in the, in the stadium. And I think that's an important piece of this too so there's so much going on we've talked to tyler kai multiple times about this on the even on this show and there's multiple things from creating lounge areas to you know just having the the concourse that can go around to having seat backs to then what goes on underneath the, the stadium with the new go big project opening up and moving you know we're going to be vacating out the the food area the training table and the you know, the area where they have the life skills and all that from the West Stadium. So that's all going to be gone, and that can become club space and everything. It's just going to be a complete revisioning of Memorial Stadium. It's a lot going on, not just rebuilding South Stadium. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just kind of – go ahead, Boomer. No, go ahead, Dave. Yeah. Uh, I was just, just saying, I mean, hockey's getting to all the good stuff, right? I mean, like, it's easy for people to fixate on what are they going to do with the these 22,000 seats and season tickets and blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, this is a – significant um, improvement of the facility. It'll mm-hmm. essentially be a brand new uh, part of the stadium. Um, I I read that it's all chairbacks. So even if students, I think it's chairbacks, but I don't know, I guess we're going to find out. Um, and I did hear that, you know, they would have kind of their own designated space down there that they can congregate and do stuff. Since a lot of the student tickets holders that are stu- students are, 
or not 21. I don't know if it's going to be a bar or not honky. That's a great question. Right. You know, but I mean, there's mm. multiple opportunities there on all the different levels to have those different types of spaces. Um, so I, I think, you know, having the connected concourses, is just going to be a better game day experience all around. I'm just for, for talent's sake. I just hope um, uh, he can be there for the first year of it and enjoy it. Right. Maybe this is where you really need that fifth or sixth year talent. Yeah, stretch out those credit hours. You don't need to get them all in one semester. I, you know, as much as nine, whatever. It'd be cool to see, but I hope I'm done with college by then. So. <laughs> hey, hey, Dave. While we're speaking about uh, uh, stadiums, uh, Kevin Lighty on twi- uh, on Twitter right now, or X, whatever people are calling it, he just posted 20 minutes ago that Memorial Stadium, where the Fighting Illini play football and are scheduled to play Nebraska on Friday, is at least partially on fire. Smoke can be seen pouring out from the lower level of the south side of the stadium. We have a crew working to get more info. So uh, this will be interesting. <laughs> if that ain't a Big Ten West metaphor, I don't know what is. So yeah. It's a dumpster fire. Maybe that's where Rob right. is. I'm going to be, I'm gonna be <laughs> live today. That explains yeah. why Rob's not here tonight. Quite literally uh, a dumpster fire. not have an alibi. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, maybe we'll be hosting uh, the Fighting Alliance in a couple of days now if they can't have us. <laughs> That's, um, can't ever be mad with another home game, you know. Yeah. Well, anyways, there's oh. there'll be more to talk about in future shows and off season stuff about the Memorial Stadium, yes. but uh, a lot of information that was that was released during the last week, so it was good that we had a chance to to chat about it. Uh, next up, our final tweet of the week was that Aaron Ingverson, the tight end from Papillion La Vista, uh, decommitted from Pitt and is now back at Nebraska or actually uh, committed to Nebraska. And I allowed us to update uh, our in-state recruiting graphic for the year. We haven't done this one in a while. And so we moved him over from the committed elsewhere category. So we now have seven in-state kids. He's the second tight end in-state in this class, joining Carter Nelson. Uh, we, he's also the third overall tight end in this. Uh, Ian Flynn, I believe, is the other one from from Texas. So we have three tight ends in this class. Now, Eric Ingwersen is 6'7", 245. Uh, who knows when it comes to the way that this uh, this staff uh, develops players, a 6'7", 245 guy, he could be a tight end here. He could end up being a D end. You know, uh, there's a lot of different things that they could uh, fit him into. Uh, but as far as anything else that we're going after, we have one other player, Caleb Benning, Damon's son. He's uncommitted still. Uh, if he would commit to Nebraska, that would be eight in-state kids uh, this year for the second straight season. That's impressive. Well, that kind of gets into it, what you've always said, Honky. You want to try to keep you know as much homegrown talent as you can. So, if, if anything, the staff seems to be doing a decent job with that so far. And those are you, the things you know, that, whether you, if you're winning or losing a few games, those are the things. Those are those wins that you can have even during a, a loss. And and if you know you're recruiting locally well, and and you're getting those kids. Uh, you know, that keeps people uh, certainly uh, excited. You know, Honky, what does this tell you about how Rule is building this roster just in the sense of that? Uh, this is a cost now of 26, is that right? Like yeah, that? I think they're at 26, yeah, 26. already yeah. and <laughs> still – And we're still waiting not only on Caleb Betting, but uh, Grant Bricks out of Iowa yeah, and – I mean, yep. we, we could get to 30 maybe on this. It's a huge class. Last year's class was actually really big. Yep. We're going to take more people in the transfer, guaranteed. So um, anybody who's saying that Rule is not adapting to um, 
the modern era of college football, how, how you build a roster. Uh, I think he's doing it from both ends, right? He's clearly bringing a huge freshman classes in, and then as well as, as bringing transfers in, but the roster is being transformed not in one year, but about in two years, it's going to be a completely different team than what mm-hmm. uh, he inherited. Yeah, and he's he's not going to let anyone pressure him to do it any other way than he wants to. He wants to build this developmentally, and that's still going through the high school ranks. Uh, I don't think he wants to hit the portal as big as he did last offseason, which was a really big year. I mean, we brought in double-digit you know, portal guys. Yeah. I don't think he quite wants to hit that number, but but – you know, in the, the world, that, yes, that's it. You got to be very strategic who you bring in. And no matter what, if you're going to bring in 30 high school kids and you're going to bring in some portal guys, then it's going to be really important from an NIL perspective that we have some packages available to be able to have a roster that's larger than 85 scholarships. Cause there's going to be a good chance that we're going to be above that. And, you know, there's guys that can be, you know, <laughs> quote unquote on scholarship being on NIL. And that's, that's going to be, uh, that's as important as anything is making sure that we can, you know, have a way to get all these guys onto the team. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'll throw this out to the group and maybe it's one of the the questions we have. I don't know. Maybe I'm jumping like I'm honk, but um, I remember listening to, I think it was unsportsmanlike conduct a couple weeks ago, actually it's been a while now, but um, they were talking to Sipple and, and Sipple just flew off the handle at, I think Josh or somebody because uh, they were talking about NIL and whether can Nebraska compete or not. And Sipple kind of took it as like, oh, they're implying that we don't have enough money to compete. Um, and and I don't think that's actually what they were trying to suggest, because I think it's pretty clear that we can spend money um, and, on to get recruits. It, it It's the question of can we actually evaluate and ultimately get use NIL money to get transfer portal players in that have an immediate impact and are, are key players to the roster that makes a difference. Right. I mean, in the, in the presser here in the last couple days, rules talking about lions and, you know, these, these guys that make a difference NFL type players that play like it, right. And, and make mm-hmm. a difference and can win a game that, I mean, we've spent money to get O'Shawn Mathis and Casey Thompson and Jeff Sims and a bunch of others that we don't even know about. And we don't know the exact numbers, but we know they're relatively big and we knew we, we we're going after a lot of offensive linemen and we we're going after the number one quarterback in the in the country with NIL and all those type of things. Um, it's the matter of actually using that money effectively to build your roster with key additions that are making an impact. And we see that on Saturdays. Right. And that's the mm-hmm. question. Right. I mean, you, you have to be able to use that money wisely to actually then get a return on that investment. And that's where I think some people have been frustrated so far as it doesn't seem like we have been able to land those key players that really just transform the roster uh, through NIL. Yeah. The Vegas Jerry last night said it during our Matt's uh, rule. He, he uh, posted in that, uh, you know, outside of Palmer and, and uh, Tory, we really haven't had a transfer that's just come in, just blown things away. And even this year, you know, it was Sims is going to be your starting quarterback through it, but you know he hasn't come in. Just he, he certainly didn't light it up nope. in his two games. Or you have, uh, you know, Hood comes here, the offensive lineman from Georgia. Or you have obviously Eric Gilbert, completely different situation there. But even MJ Sherman comes here, and you know he's going to dominate. And he hasn't been bad, but he hasn't he hasn't come in and just 
taken over a position either. And and you can go down the list. We really haven't hit that. O'Shawn Mathis a year ago was the number one transfer guy in the transfer portal, and it took him four or five games to even get his feet under him here. And I, I'll always say I think that what Rule did this year is what he'll continue to do in the future. Being a developmental program in today's world means if you're going to get transfers here, you got to get them here in December and January. Get them here through an entire offseason. I think he's mm-hmm. that's going to be important, as important to him as ever this year. But I really think being a developmental program means that, you know, some of those lions and everything he's talking about, they're going to have to come from within too. It's guys that you've brought in here, and maybe next year it's Lutovsky at a line is also in the lion, but he's not right now. It's going to be guys that that also come from within your program. Think of Makai uh, Bear this year. You yeah. know, that's a guy that's been nobody was talking about him a couple months ago, and all of a sudden he's the guy that's taking snaps away from MJ Sherman or the Chief Borders and the guys that you know were the big name kids that they brought in. So. Um, I think that's part of this developmental program too, is we're going to just see guys kind of step up that uh, you know, haven't been playing yet. Heck, I, I expect to see that over the next seven games. I expect to see some names oh, yeah. of players that haven't really played much of a role yet starting to play it. Yeah. And I think with NIL, I think you, you can basically put programs on, you know, certain levels, you know, you've got programs like, you know, Minnesota where you had PJ Fleck just trying to warn the Gophers that, Hey, we're not, we don't have the money going into NIL to keep players if we develop them that he, he called themselves like a potential triple a club, you know, so there's, there's that level. And then you've got programs like Nebraska or, you know, Michigan, Ohio state, Georgia, you know, programs like that where there is money to get these players. And I don't think it's the, the NIL specifically that's going to draw, you know, those kind of game changing talents to Nebraska. I mean, players are still going to look for programs that fit them, you know, cause they're going to be able to make, good money wherever they go. If they're a high quality player, they can make an immediate impact. So I don't think that's going to be the issue. It's, mm-hmm. you know, like Dave said, you have to identify those players that fit what, that fit what you want to do as a coach and as a program, you know, and sell them on that. And they have to see that they're going to benefit by coming here because they can make millions or hundreds of thousands or $20, whatever the hell NIL pays these days, <laughs> wherever they want to go. So that's, that's, that's the big thing is are those players that are available in the portal? Are they fitting what you want to do? And, can you sell them that? I think that's the big thing. It's not necessarily just the money. So, mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. Yeah, just getting a balance of, you know, the development and then getting some big-name guys. Like, you look at a program like Florida State, you know, they have a ton of talent that comes through there. But, you know, this past season, they also took 10 to 15 guys in the NIL portal, and I think, you know, seven or eight of them are actually playing a lot of snaps for them. Keon Coleman's doing a lot of good things for them. So it's can you can you get the guys – who can make those plays for you? Like, like uh, honky was saying, and uh, can we get that development, you know, um, that rules talking about and just keep building those freshmen and sophomores up. So they're ready to go as juniors, but, you know, filling pieces in as we go too. you know, if we're missing an, an alignment, can we go and fill it in quick with the transfer portal and getting them in, in, in January and just, you know, um, getting them a full off season, like my like saying, like rule saying, you know, getting them really acclimated with being at Nebraska. Cause it's kind of a, a culture change when you come here, you know, it's, it's very different from a lot of the other places that, you know, these big names come from when you're a big name, you yep. go to Florida, Florida state, you know, those, you know, different climates than Nebraska. So you have to get really get in here, get acclimated to the program, to the culture, to the history, to the tradition. Uh, and if you can do that, you know, you can succeed. And obviously we get those names like MJ Sherman and chief borders, which I think, you know, they can still be stars for us, but, they're coming from Georgia and, and Florida. And those are two very vastly different programs than where we are right now. And, 
and can they live up to those expectations of where you know they were and you know MJ Sherman's won back-to-back national championships with Georgia and then coming here it's it's just a very different culture very different yeah you know, sure you know yeah all that type of stuff yeah I, th- I think Keon Coleman's a great example there of a guy who had established himself relatively early in his career still at Michigan State though and then Florida State just picks him off the roster, right, and and gives Jordan Travis something to throw to, who is a game changer on the outside, right? And, I mean, you kind of thought O'Shawn Mathis was kind of like that for us, but he was also like a fifth or sixth-year senior who was trying to improve his draft stock and and wanted to prove that he could play run defense. So maybe not quite – that's the closest apples to apples. But, like, the MJ Shermans and Chief Porters are the ones that were – Pretty highly regarded, but didn't play that much at those stops, right? Same with Corey Collier, for example, at Florida. Um, so and still need to prove themselves. Whereas Keon Coleman was 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 doing good things at Michigan State before he came over. So that's where I'm I'm looking for next year. To Hockey's point, if we don't take 15 guys, we only get five or six. I want impact players like Keon Coleman yeah. at Florida State, who is like a plug and play, like bam, there's your outside six four receiver that we didn't have last year. <laughs> Does anyone know how Walter Rouse is doing at Oklahoma? Has he been starting? Is he a, a stud left tackle for them? Or I, I just haven't paid attention or heard anything. It's a great question. I, I yeah, that is a good question. Our crack researcher, Redcast Boomer, will be able to find it. Boomer can look that up. If anyone that's following along, too, if, you, if you've been paying attention. I'm just curious because there's very specific positions we hear about are kind of gold in the, in the portal. Offensive linemen yeah. tend to be that. If you can get a top-notch one. And then, you know, look at the quarterback, too. I mean, my goodness, Notre Dame goes out and gets Wake Forest guy that's broke yeah, a ton of ACC records, and it can make a big difference, right? So it's really about getting the right people, not about the quantity of them. And, I, you know, I hesitate to be a team that's going out there and bringing in 15 and 20 portal guys a year anyways. Um, You're not going to hit on that many anyway, right? No, no. And I think that five was, you bring in. Yeah, I think that was Vegas Jair's point last year, last night. Anyways, when he mentioned that, where he's like, you know, gosh, we've we've brought in a ton of dudes the last few years, and how many of them have really truly dominated? So, anyways, I think that's a good uh, that's a good finishing spot there on the tweets of the week, and it leads us into the mailbag section. And we have two questions here that I'll go over because they're they're deep questions. But while we're doing this, everyone that's following along, if you got other questions, throw them in the comments, and we'll see if we can add a, a late mailbag in here. But the first one comes from Shorzy6951, and uh, Shorzy asked this question oh, a couple months back, and so I've kind of had it on the back burner. He said, I was curious if you guys would ever recap what went right and wrong with each coaching staff we've had since Bob Devaney up to the first year of Matt Rule, just to see how much Nebraska football has changed in that time. So that's Shorzy from, uh, from our YouTube channel. Um, you know, that's a – I mean, this could be – an hour long discussion by itself, but just to basically, you know, for Husker fans new to the fandom, I mean, that's Bob Devaney, Tom Osborne, Frank Solich. Then you have the firing from uh, Steve Peterson that changes things. And then you've got Bill Callahan, Bo Pelini, Mike Riley, Scott Frost, and now Matt rule. So this is eight coaching staffs. Um, Dave, uh, you know, I'll start with you. I guess you, you hear that. I mean, but, what were your the show, thoughts, or what do you show think and a of half? Maybe, yeah, yeah. That's a big that's that's a big question. Um, I mean, a lot of things went right, obviously, with Bob Devaney and, and Tom Osborne. You know, the things that went mm-hmm. wrong, they generally corrected, right? I mean, the classic example is Devaney going six and four in back to back years, and and um, getting blown out by Alabama in uh, an Orange Bowl, and 
um, maybe making some mistakes on on recruiting offensive line, and then they switched things up and got a new offensive coordinator. And in, in a few years, they were playing for national championships, right? Um, mm-hmm. With with To uh, pro style offense for first six, seven, eight years of his his tenure, um, very successful. It couldn't beat Oklahoma on a consistent basis or barely at all. Changes his offense to the triple option, recruits the right quarterbacks, um, and elevates elevates his game. And there's another example in the '90s where he, he you know changes philosophy defensively um, to get over the hump. Right. So those are easy. Um, the other ones are, are, are a lot harder and probably meatier in conversation. Right, guys. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Solich, uh, you know, he probably recruiting was what went wrong. Um, yeah. Lots of coaching staff changes, right, Boomer? I mean, a lot of the, the experience in McBride and Darlington and et cetera, Milt, um, all, yeah. all retired uh, underneath uh, Solich. Um, other things on, on the Franks regime you can think of? Uh, those would be the main ones. I mean, he was he was handed a tough bill. You know, following a legend is always tough, and it's going to be. And then, like you said, Dave, when you, when you combine that with, you know, you've got an experienced staff that some stuck around, you know, maybe as a favor, and then – you know, some of them, you know, were going to retire. That's a lot, a lot of knowledge you have to replace in kind of a hurry. And then, you know, it didn't really, I don't think, he, well, he ended up not having the support of the athletic director by the end of it. So that <laughs> doesn't help anything true. either. But yeah. So that, that was probably, you know, the biggest challenge that he faced there. I, yeah, definitely. I, I would, I would add to Solich's tenure, the, the problem he probably faced, in my opinion, at least, and we're having this discussion again is um, who's your primary running threat? Right. I, I like running quarterbacks. I like them to be the secondary running threat. I like your eye back to be the guy that you are worried is going to break that thing for 80 yards mm-hmm. off the edge. Um, and the the transition to Crouch and Jamal Lord being a primary ball carrier was always, to me, problematic um, and not very sustainable. Um, it, you, it can work for a little bit, but over the long haul, you need that production out of the eye back. I still believe that's the case today. Uh, Honky, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that was definitely the transition that happened over the Solich years uh, offensively that uh, we went to becoming a quarterback-centric offense from a running back-centric offense. Kind of strange considering that, uh, you know, Solich was a running backs coach for all those years here. But uh, that just kind of – be, and it wasn't because of – you know, I heard people say, oh, it's, it was a lack of talent at running back. But, I mean, you know, Carl Buckholder would go on and play for a number of years in the pros. And, you know, David Horn mm-hmm. was a big recruit. And, you know, we – we would get it was more of a intentional thing that we kind of went in that direction. We really wanted that quarterback became a lead carrier. And so it was less of option and more quarterback run, uh, yep. direct run. So that, that was something that happened there. I think, um, you know, when I go back to the Devaney era here, since that's the start of it all, I think of the things that he brought here, number one, started that that didn't really exist. Black shirts, as an example, a tradition to the, to this day. Um, his focus on recruiting local, something he did at Wyoming, something that he got from Duffy Doherty up at Michigan State. Um, the coaching staff that he brought here with with him from Wyoming, starting that concept of coaching continuity, uh, you know, really built the, the walk-on program that Osborne really championed. And then to name Osborne, as the next head coach, and then to be Osborne's athletic director. That's something we talked about with Solich, that one of Solich's worst things going for him was that he didn't have an athletic director by the end that supported him, which is an ongoing thing that we've had since then. But uh, T.O., the first five years under T.O., we we don't beat Oklahoma. 
lot of pressure on him. There was a regent that said he'd have been fired if he didn't win one of the bowl games in the first three or four years. Um, but he had an athletic director that supported him. I think of the same thing of like Harbaugh right now at Michigan. They're the team that just destroyed us. You know, there was a lot of pressure at Harbaugh about three, four years ago. They weren't beating Ohio State. And uh, but they had an athletic director that that continued to show support to, to Harbaugh and he, he worked himself through it. And now look where they're at. Uh, continuity is something that we really experienced for about 40 years. And the last 20 years, we just haven't had any of it. And so uh, to get back to that, uh, I think that's really the important thing is that we have to start to, to stick with something. And I, and I hear that even right now, we're two and three and we lose some game and, Oh, this guy, this guy needs to go. We need to fire Satterfield. Yeah. Well then we fire Satterfield. Then we'll be on our fourth offensive coordinator in four years. It's like, how many times can you keep starting over? Sometimes you got to stick with something and, and, and let it grow and work. You want to take right. on Bo? Anybody want to break know, down the Bellini day? Skipping right over Callahan? Yeah, yeah. we all know well, what happened I, with Callahan. Well, Callahan, <laughs> Callahan, Callahan Callahan's certainly biggest, recruiting. Yeah, Callahan could recruit well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he had great talent, and the offense was good for the most part. I think his biggest weakness was I mean, he stuck with Cosgrove probably longer than he needed to. I mean, he probably yeah. should have made a change on that. And, you know, maybe after a year, I don't know when it should have, but. I mean, defense was clearly the Achilles heel of that team. I mean, because when things went south on defense, they went south in a hurry. Like, you know, we saw that, yeah, we, we were in many games where that defense just was just shredded, you know, and, and that was the biggest problem. And then, you know, not having any of the Nebraska ties, you know, being the pro guy, that, that killed Callahan, you know, with any chance here. I mean, he had a couple good seasons. People kind of forget that, but then he recruited a lot of great talent. So, well, and defensively, you know, it was also a development issue. I mean, a lot of those same guys that were on that defense in 2007, losing to Colorado at the end of the season, giving up 60 points when our offense scored 50, a lot of those same defensive guys are guys that are playing in 2008 and 2009 on some of the best defenses. You know, by 2009, that's that's Ndamukong Sue and Philip Dillard and all those guys. Yeah, you know, exactly. Barry Turner. And so there was a development issue. And Bo, I guess that kind of leads into the Bo era. One of Bo's strengths was really – he knew how to, he could motivate guys, especially in that year one and year two. He did a real good job of kind of creating that us against the world mentality. And, and uh, you know, he, he redshirted almost everybody in 2008 building for the future when a lot of those freshmen could have probably helped him that year, but he redshirted them. And, and even despite all that, they, they came out there and almost beat Texas tech and went nine and four and just tough nosed teams. I mean, that really, embodied him and, and took that us against the world approach, but that us against the world approach also can start to wear thin on you. If you continue to do it year after year, game after game, um, I've, I've equated that right now a little bit to Dion, you know, for a game or two, yeah. you can be disrespected, but when you dis when you're disrespected for the third week and the fourth week, and it's, and every week you keep creating this, this new us against the world mentality, it just eventually wears on everybody. And, unless you're winning every single game, which Bo didn't, and now Dion's not, that starts to, I think, backfire over time. Yeah, and Bo just constitutionally wasn't, you know, he wasn't the politician that a lot of head coaches really need to be. Yeah. Uh, unless you're winning every game, yeah. and like you said, if you're winning national championships, nobody cares what you're like. But when you're not, you've got to be able to, to play the politics end of it. And if you're good yeah, at that, you can make eight easy. or nine wins a career and, you know, stretch it out until you – 
start winning those championships, but he he just didn't mm-hmm. have that personality. I don't think he was meant to be a head coach. And I'm not yeah. really sure what he's doing right now, to be honest with you. I mean, well, I saw Cosby was the D coordinator at Long Island University, so he's still coaching. But I mean, yeah, we Bo, Bo enough. He never needs to work again. So. Yeah, Bo doesn't need to work now. Bo, one of the downfalls of Bo, I think, too, is that he made this job very publicly. He made this job feel very hard, and it was actually one of the strengths I thought Riley did when he first got here. Riley, you know, it was hard to recruit here under Bo, and Bo would talk about how tough it was to get people to Lincoln and all this. And Riley, even though we didn't close on a lot of the guys, he would go out and do Friday Night Lights, and all of a sudden we're having Micah Parsons coming here in Lincoln. People were coming to Lincoln under Riley. He kind of created this vibe that Lincoln was a, a cool place to at least come and see. It was neato. And, uh, you know, but <laughs> now we know all the things that were wrong with the Riley era and, and that uh, that weren't going to work. And, and, uh, I don't think he put in near the amount of effort that is required to be the head coach of a, a Nebraska. And yeah. that was ultimately his downfall. But, but uh, you know, he tried to do some things, I think, to, to at least uh, make this seem like a place that people would want to come to. I mean, you know, even to get Keyshawn's kid to come here, you know, uh, that was, right. you know, in the pre NIL yeah. era. Yeah. And, and I also think with Riley, I think probably, this, this is also another big part of his downfalls. I think he let himself kind of get pushed around by his athletic director. I mean, he fired Mark yeah. Banker when he was out recruiting. You know, didn't he like call him an airport, if I remember? Yeah, right? he was in the Denver yeah. airport. Yeah. And then we got, you know, Mr. Strain, Bob Diaco in here, you know, based <laughs> on athletic director request. I mean, I think that as much as anything really did him in, I, I you know, I don't know what, you know, I don't have any inside information, but I think if I was working for that kind of staff or I saw that as my coach that he's willing to get pushed around and fire, you know, your coordinator and hire somebody that you want, man, man, I don't know how much faith I put in the coach now at this point. Is he just taking sure. a lot of direct orders and, and not, I think, I think that was his big mistake. And, and I think if he'd have kept, you know, banker, another, I don't think he was a terrible D coordinator, you know, yeah, I mean, he was better than the bad I mean, quote. Right, it's a low bar. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the nice, you know, sweaters and stuff, Argyle sweaters, but, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, I guess that transitions to the last coach that we had there with, with, with Frost. And I think all of us, I mean, that's right as we're starting the, the red cast. So we, this is in the, the time era that we've been doing this show. And I mean, Dave, I don't think there's a single one of us that thought they made the wrong, the, the wrong hire back in 2018. Mm-hmm. And we were all 100% bought in on that. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have their, their, own thoughts on why it didn't work but i mean at least go, you go back to the moment that he was hired that was the home run can't miss hire and there's some days i'm still shocked that it, it went as bad as it went yeah yeah absolutely and we've we've discussed this at length i, I actually would like to hear talon's thoughts on this is this is the coach that he probably had seen the downfall more up close than any of the others i mean what was the the uh, what went right and wrong for scott frost down I mean, I think what we're rolling is just we just weren't a very tough football team in the fourth quarter. We weren't resilient when things got hard. Um, you know, the second we got to a close game in the fourth quarter, we kind of just fell apart, you know, with fumbles. And, you know, we had talent. You know, he recruited pretty well. You know, we got the quarterback he won. And I think his ability to change over the years is kind of what did him in, you know, not – you know, after you see – we had one good year of a great defense – 
And then that was the year we lose every game by, you know, one score or under 10 points, you know, and, you yeah. know, I think look before those years, we couldn't tackle and the year after we couldn't tackle. And so, you know, at some point you got to be able to look at, you know, what was going on and, and say, Hey, you know, I need to make a, a, a change. And, and then all the reports that come out that, you know, he was kind of late to practice and, you know, people follow their head coach. They follow the guy that's leading the program. You know, those players are looking at him for, for guidance and leadership. And, you know, in, in every press conference, there was an excuse to why we lost. It wasn't just, oh, we weren't good enough. It was always something why we lost or, you know, something did us in. Or, you know, there was always just whining and complaining. And, and you know, players see that, you know, and, and it, just, it just followed him all throughout his, his you know, tenure here. And we just couldn't ever yep. give, get over that hump to win, you know, the tough games. You know, we could – we blew out a couple opponents that weren't really even close to us in talent. And then, you know, we go and play a team that, you know, in the big 10 West, you know, where we should have beat Illinois the first game of the season and we go and play them super tough and they go and, you know, beat us in the fourth quarter. Every team just could always find a way to beat us in the fourth quarter because we would beat ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, there's, it's a, it's a good description. You know, I do feel like the, it's interesting, the, the apex I feel like of, of Frost's, coaching arc here where it could have really gone different was the home game two I guess two years ago against Michigan where we had the lead in the second half and it felt like it just felt like they were going to win that one for a while you know and um, for whatever reasons um, it didn't work out that way and I think after that it was just kind of that was the last straw right it just wasn't going to happen so mm-hmm. it is what it is yep. uh, the, the second question here the last one we have is from uh, at Swoboda Jeff on our uh, X channel and goes, when is it fair to expect to see some signs of progress? I believe Nebraska fans are more patient, supporting, loyal than any fan base in the country. So far with three big opportunities on Fox this year to show the nation some forward movement in the program, not just the win-loss type either. That hasn't happened. Meanwhile, Colorado, Auburn, Washington, and Tennessee are showing that the rebuild cycle isn't what it used to be and the concept of needing four to five years uh, cycle for a coach to get their own recruits in the program and build a culture might not be as relevant as it was for decades. All right. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, I'll start with you, Boomer, I guess. What are your thoughts? Yeah. First question, I guess it's going to depend and everyone's going to have their own answer to this. What, what do you see or what do you call progress? Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, Some people are going to say, well, you know, I look at the, an individual game or a series of games and we're playing better in certain aspects than we were last year. I mean, our defense arguably this year is playing better than they were last year, granted Michigan game notwithstanding. And so some people can see that as progress and other people might look at, you know, offensive production and that's not outstanding this year is, you know, they might view that as, you know, progress or lack thereof. Other people are going to look at, you know, win loss records because ultimately that is what matters, you know, in the game by the end of the season is what is your record and is it, good is it bad is that progress so you know and then like he you know like uh jeff says he you know he asks with our three biggest opportunities this year on tv you know we lost all three of those you know some people are going to say that's really a sign of not a lot of progress i mean our closest game was the first one you know first game of the season when you're playing a minnesota team it's their first game of the year too with a kind of reshuffling what they're doing and you know since then you play colorado and kind of get waxed by the end of it and you play michigan and don't even look like you're, you know, belonging in the same field as they do. 
you know, so you can take that what it is. And, and he is right that there are teams that are showing you can rebuild faster than it, than it, than it, than you normally would think when people talk about rebuilding. So that's going to, again, depend on the coach and what kind of talent you're able to find and bring in. And coaches are going to approach that differently. Some people are able to go into that portal and get people right away, you know, Washington getting, you know, Michael Penix, you know, there's quarterback. They were able to identify a quarterback who was, you know, okay. And, you know, where he was and were certainly able to take him to the next level. So it, you know, a lot of that's going to depend on the coaches and Tennessee. I mean, how long has Tennessee been rebuilding? It seems to have been a while. I mean, they're kind of in the same boat we are, you know, it's, they haven't been great forever. Yeah. They, they were yeah. very good for parts of last season. Right. But is that a right. sustainable they, they, rebuild? You know, they, they've been up and down and this year they're not world beaters by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah, it, I guess that would be my real first question on this is what 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 do you view as progress? That's, uh, mm-hmm. that's what I would ask the, the three of you here. How would you say that? Yeah. Yeah, I don't well, yeah. I don't know if go ahead. Well, yeah, progress, I just say that's you know, I, I get very specific into areas. I can say, hey, we showed progress on the D line, but maybe not the O line, or we showed progress in this area, but not this area. That's that's hard. At the end of the day, wins and losses are gonna be what's important, but you know, when he said it's the last part where we go, meanwhile, Colorado, Auburn, Washington, and Tennessee are showing that the rebuild cycle uh, can be a different timeline. I don't know how you can apply any of that to Coach Rule yet. We're only five games yeah. into Rule. And so even exactly. looking at Tennessee here, you know, in 2021 under Hypo, they went 7-6 and six in their first year. And then last year went 11-2. Or, Dave, we've talked multiple times about what's gone on at Florida State. And, yeah, we'd all yeah. love to be what Florida State is right now. But they were, you know, for what? Started two, going for them. 0-4, and, and I think they had two losing seasons to start with, and then yep. last year was a 10-, and you know, a much yep. better year, and then now now they're at this year, and this is year four, and they're they're at a point where they're looking to play for, you know, uh, the, the, the playoff and conference, obviously. So, I mean, there still was a build that went on there, too. Um, so I, I think that it's frustrating because we're five games in, and, you know, even if we just would have just won the – the Minnesota game, just winning that one sure. game. We're, we're sitting at three and two. Changed. We already have a win in our division in the <laughs> conference. I mean, it would probably change everything, yep. but, but, uh, yeah. but we're not, we're two and three. And, but I, I don't know. I, I can't think that big picture yet with rule. Cause it's just so darn early. I can't look at Colorado and look too, too big picture. Cause it's just so darn early. They could turn yeah. around and, you know, lose a whole bunch of games this year. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's a great question. It's, it's a lot of stuff going on here from, mm-hmm. from Jeff. I mean, th- those examples are not good examples, in my opinion, to your point, Hawk. I mean, I, I Colorado, I don't know if primetime is going to be there in two years. In three years, they may be restarting again on a rebuild, right? So is that what we wanted? I don't I don't know. Auburn mm-hmm. is always going to have more talent than, you know, than, than most, actually. I'm not dissing Jeff. I've had this question from him before. Uh, It just, I mean, Washington, to your point, I mean, this is what year three or four and, and they got their quarterback in Penix, right. You know, and he's a six year guy, right. I mean, um, maybe we might have our Michael Penix Jr. Next year in this roster. I don't know. Right. Um, Tennessee accelerated quickly. I think they're going to take a step back because they don't have a great quarterback um, like they had last year. And I don't think they're going to have a great record this year at the end of the day. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it, I, I agree that it doesn't take four or five years to, to build a program, but it takes more than five five games, right? I mean, yeah. honestly, there's seven games left, Honky. And to your point about the Minnesota game, 
we're one game off of where I think most people at the beginning of the season would have thought we were at. Right. And it's, yeah. it's hilarious to me. It was the whole Michigan thing where everybody's like, Oh, we look so horrible. And I'm like, I just didn't think we were going to look that good in this game, but these next seven, I think we could show progress mm-hmm. just in these next seven. Right. Mm-hmm. They've, they've had this conversation on the radio this week of like, well, this is a must win. I think you might've even said that on Matt's rule last, last mm-hmm. night. Like this is a must win game against Illinois. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe for the Big Ten West, but if this is the race for six and you're telling me that we can't go four and two after that, then, yeah, I guess it would be a mess to win. But you look at that schedule and there's a bunch of toss-up games in the last six, right? And you're, and you're telling me we couldn't beat Northwestern and Purdue at home after a bye to get to four and four? If we get to four and four, we can't get to six and six? Um, I don't know if it's a must win. They got to play better. I tell you what, if they come out flat and don't look good against Illinois and we lose by three touchdowns, yeah, that'll be disappointing. Um, do I think they can win on Friday night? Absolutely. And would if they did win, would it make it things all heck of a lot easier yeah. to get to six? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I just I'd, I'd say, I don't know if I'd call it a must win, but these next four games, you've got to, I mean, if we're going to say progress, I mean, do you almost think you almost you need to win three of these next four? I mean, these aren't world beaters. I mean, Nebraska's yeah, not I, the greatest team in the so, world. So, but, well, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. going to th- be honky on this one and say, like, why limit this team? Like, you're right. Sure, we should win three out of this four. That would be progress. But then right. what if we lost the last last three, right? Would that possible. be progress? I mean, what what wrong, if we went two yeah. and two, and then we had somehow upset Maryland and Wisconsin, right? That would be progress suddenly, but we didn't show it in these four yeah. games. I just don't yeah. know any of these seven games. We, we aren't going to be favored in a bunch of them, uh, especially the road games. But could we win any of those games far more likely than ever giving us a shot versus Michigan or even Colorado probably? Yeah, yeah, we can. We can win games here in the last seven. I just feel like at some point we need to get some momentum going. That's the thing that right. the season's been wonky from the beginning because instead of playing your group of five teams, like next year we'll start with UTEP in game one, finally mm-hmm. – not playing a, a Big Ten game on the road to start the season. But we didn't have that this year. I mean, the, for the third time in the modern era of Husker football, we're starting with two road games, and that's not a great way for any coach to start off the career. So we're 0-2 by the time we even get back to Lincoln to play those two group of five teams. We, we win those two games. We get back to 500. Now we have to go play Michigan, the, the, the gauntlet game. And that's where I think this is such an important game that if we can win this weekend, you get to go into a bye week. A long bye week sure. since it's a Friday night Absolutely. game. You get to go into a long bye week, uh, you know, with a, a feel good thing. You're back at 500. You're not trying to fight from two games down. And to your point there, Dave, about you know, if we had just beaten Minnesota, we we probably we'd be right on track of where most people thought we'd be right now, anyways. Well, if we beat if we beat Illinois, I think a lot of people would probably said, yeah, three and three. You know, a lot of people yeah. would have thought three, and three after six games is about where we'd be, anyways. And yep. maybe it's just different because we ended up winning a game that people didn't expect. So, you know, I, I think the, the mentality, I, I'm all about the, the race to six and getting to that halfway point. You're right. If we don't win this weekend, it's not that we can't hit six. I mean, we're going to keep, we're, we're going to fight for six until it's mathematically not possible, but, but boy, a win this weekend would be, I think it would just do wonders for Husker nation period going into a long bye week as well. And imagine a a fairly quiet two weeks of Husker football where, you know, people aren't 
you know, screaming and, and I, hollering for. I, I totally coaches. get it. I feel that's that's almost more the fans. We'd be better off if they're three and three. The You're fan right. base would be. You're right. I don't You're know. Right. I I have faith that Rule is is taking the long road here, and two and four won't be the end of the world for him or his coaching staff. Doesn't mean that they're going to go win six, but I just I don't feel I don't want to put that on this game, even though it's a huge opportunity to steal a win on the road against a team that's struggling as much, if not more, than your own program. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is a must-win game by any means. I mean, we can definitely win it. We can definitely win. There's a bunch of games out there that we can definitely win, you know. But for three and three going into a bye week, like Hockey's saying, there's a ton of momentum going into this week, uh, into the bye week. Um, you know, when you really think about it, we're, what, six six Jeff Sims turnovers from from almost being, being Minnesota and probably being in that Colorado game. Not blaming sure. it all. Sure. Jeff, you know, but there's no reason we should have lost 36-14 to Colorado. It is not like Colorado yeah. simply just outplayed us that entire game. And, you know, we're down 14-6 to in the top of the third quarter against Colorado. And, you know, they have a – they you know, and, and the rebuild and stuff like that with Colorado, like those teams that he named found their quarterback. You know, Colorado found Shador. Uh, last yeah. year, Tennessee found uh, Hennon Hooker. Uh, Washington yep. met Michael Penix Jr. It took Florida State. Now, Florida State's a little different because they let their, you know, Tr- Jordan Travis start as a freshman, and he's a fifth-year senior now. I mean, you mm-hmm. have to identify your quarterback and then build around him. And I almost think we kind of missed with this with this transfer portal, and, and, and almost did we maybe pick the wrong guy with Sims, or did we not see Heinrich being the guy in the offseason? I, I don't know, but I think if we can or identify – Or we didn't get – yeah. Yeah, if we can identify the guy and build around him, because I think this defense is good enough to do it, Heinrich's proven he's not going to turn the ball over a time. There's no reason we can't win, you know, six games total, or even seven games total. You know, we're not playing – the West is still wide open besides mess. Yeah, pretty much the only team that's kind of where we thought they'd be a little bit would be Wisconsin. You know, we don't know how well Iowa's going to look the rest of this year. They just lost Cade McNamara for the entire season with a knee injury. You know, so we don't really know. Illinois is underperforming a ton. On well, apparently their stadium's on fire, Talents. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> apparently <laughs> Iowa's offense hasn't changed at all. So. You know, they just got blown out. So. Yeah. Well, we are obligated here uh, because of the super chat clause in our contract. <laughs> Vegas Jer, nine ninety nine beers on me, Dave. Fantastic breakdown there. Uh, Thanks, Jer. I appreciate we, it. Yeah, we still have to figure out how in the world to collect on that stuff. Yeah, we, we haven't collected <laughs> diamonds yet, so we we're not good at this stuff. But, uh, we're not good. We're not good at this YouTube stuff here. Yeah. But uh, this is the we're figuring it out. Had, you know, when it comes to Thank expectations. You, for this first season and, you know, are we ahead of the curve or are we on, you know, where we expect, do you think there is any risk with everyone's general, I, I, we, I think fans and media have kind of taken this attitude. Well, the first year of rule is usually bad. And I think that's kind of been what people have said now that you, you can't expect them to win a whole lot of games. Do you think there's any danger of that impacting the team the way it is that everyone's saying, Oh, we're writing off this first year. So why do, should we as players put a whole lot into this at this point or is does that impact how they see games when they're in, you know when they're in tough stretches when they're playing a team like Michigan? I don't I, think so. I would like to think 
they're they're getting a different message from their own coaching staff than that. Yeah, right. right. And, and I know Rule said this is more like his year two teams, which you know raises yeah. its own questions. But yeah, I, I don't know if you guys think that's well, an impact. Year two teams are five hundred type teams, you know. So right. I mean, he's, right. Yeah. I think it's just a different yeah. situation. Baylor and Temple were different than we were. I mean, Baylor was coming off of a huge scandal. Temple wasn't very good before Rule got there in the first place. I think we had a ton of talent from last year coming back. I think it's just. It's different in how you view both, you know, all three of those teams. Yeah. I mean, I think, especially since it's the Big Ten West and you can hang your hat on defense. And if this defense outside of this Michigan game can bow up and, and keep us in most of these games, which I would at this point seems like the case, uh, the offense is limited. Let's not, you know, kid ourselves. It's not like it's going to be explosive, going to be dropping 45 points anytime soon. But can they, um, you know, I mean, I think you have a scenario here where, and we kind of laid out the Michigan game where, like, if it would have started differently, if we didn't have that turnover, if we did convert the fourth down and then punch the the ball in and suddenly it's 14-7 or 7-7 at that point, maybe there's a game plan that Marcus Satterfield calls that's aggressive and and tries to take some shots and and tries to really bring that thing into the fourth quarter as Honky had hoped, right? Um, well, here's another, a very different game, but you have an opportunity here to hockey's point of how important it would be for the psyche of the team to get to three and three going into that bye week. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Nebraska throws a little, little bit of the old kitchen sink at Illinois and tries a a few things on offense that they haven't shown to see if they can get some chunk plays and, and get out of uh, champagne with a win, uh, because it would make a big difference. And you've got two weeks to, to develop new offensive plays and to surprise Northwestern and Purdue, right? And now you have yep. your momentum that everybody wants, right? Yeah. Dave, who's who's our best running back on the team right now? <laughs> this is a trick question. No, 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 no. Just, you know, who's the best well, running back? I would I would say it's Anthony Grant. It's Anthony Grant. How many carries did he get against Michigan? <laughs> Six. 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 I mean, that was – if that's not playing to the future, I mean, that was yeah. – there was a point where – and I even respect it a little bit. I respect the gameplay of like shut it down. This is let's get out of this game without we let's not lose to Michigan three or four times this year. Let's just lose to them once, yep. you know. And yeah. we could have we could have lost every player and done it. I, you know, I just think that that game you have to throw that game aside for a second here. That's the one I'm 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 willing as a fan right now to just say that, that they are on a different level than us. They are eight years into their build of of coach Harbaugh and this is the best team I've seen Michigan have during that time that's a college football playoff team but aside from that uh, there isn't a single team on the rest of the schedule that we can't beat we can lose every one of them sure we can go 0-7 these last seven right but we can win games here and and a developmental program means that it, that's not just an off-season thing. That's just that's not just let's wait till next year until that one guy gets here to fix things no I expect a developmental program to be better in week six than week five. I expect us to look a lot better after a bye week. I expect us to look, you know, and they and someone just uh, posted something about fleeks there. I expect them to find players and move yeah. players around when there's injuries and stuff and not just sit there. It's the thing that drove me nuts all last year with, with Whipple, where I just kept saying over and over again, we are so uncreative. We, we can't figure out ways to get other guys on the field. We can't line up in different formations or all that stuff. 
I don't see any of that going on right now. I see a very creative staff constantly trying to move players around and figure out different ways of doing things. All of a sudden, we become an option team one game where that wasn't really as big of a, a part of the offense a few day, games earlier. So I think they're trying to evolve to, to the talent they have. It's still remembering that this is week it's season one. It is a, still a season one thing. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think we answered that question. What yeah. question was that? I forget. <laughs> I don't even know at this point. Oh, that it was uh that was Jeff's there. So <laughs> our answer was was ten times longer than the question, which was pretty long to begin with. Yes. Well, anyways, good fun. <laughs> Is there more questions, or that that's the? Two no, I think that was, that's probably good enough for that. That was what I had for the mailbox uh, mailbag coming into it, and we've already been going through people's comments and questions kind of throughout too. So I think that's probably a good place well, we're to only, stop. There. Only an hour and twelve minutes in. I mean, we're I mean, <laughs> done two tweets and, and two mailbag questions. Took an hour and twelve minutes. Man, I guess I guess I talked too this much. This is a I deep podcast, Dave. We can break anything yeah. down into. We're we're off our game tonight, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right, Honk. Um, are we ready for bedcast? We have more things to talk about before we get to the bedcast. Uh, you know what? Let me give my parting shot, and then I'll let you guys sure. get over to the, to the bedcast. There, uh, I wanted to show this one here. This was uh, from retired Husker trucker, and he goes, uh, "Nebraska should be proud of what Selden Trucking does for our university. All trucking goes for away games is donated, along with." Uh, drivers donating their time as well. One of the uh, sharpest looking rigs in the country. You'll never see our trailer pulled with a basic looking fleet truck. And number one, I, I want to give credit there. And I believe uh, that uh, Selden Trucking, I think they're from Shelby. So down in the Columbus area anyways. Nice. I think that's really cool. But also the photos in this tweet that they chose to, to highlight, do they look familiar? The the Michigan uh, trailer, the the NIU trailer, the La Tech one? Those are the red cast photos there. That's right. Every, awesome. Every, yeah, home, weird, huh? yeah. every home Friday, uh, yours truly walks across campus and takes a photo. I've been doing this since years before we even started the red cast. Uh, uh, whoever the opponent's uh, trailer is, I always take a photo of it and post the same stupid saying, you know, uh, welcome whoever you are to Lincoln, Nebraska, home of the Huskers. And um, it's like one of the, I don't know, it's, it's my little tradition to do. So I thought it was so cool to see the the official Husker trucker posting those photos. And and I think he was. And it's a good thing we don't have a legal department. You know, yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he specifically, I think, was calling out like Michigan's uh, their, you know, their their fleet truck is like a white. It's like a white front, you know, truck. I'm terrible with trucking names, but it's a, a white truck in the front of just like a Michigan trailer and. And like ours looks really cool. I mean, ours is yeah, all. Selden Sel- has a lovely Kenworth semi there pulling that. Uh, yeah, that's that trailer. It's oh, there you go. And, yeah. So, uh, when does the opponent uh, uh, truck usually roll in? What's what's your timing on you know, on your tradition? Yeah, I usually try to go around like the the noon time. They're they're usually pulling in right around there. It's on the south side of the stadium. They they have a you know a, probably about the equivalent of like ten or eleven parking spaces that they will uh, mark off so that you can't park in there. And, uh, and yeah. And there was one year, gosh, was it, who did we play a couple of years ago? That was like, a, I think it was the one from um, uh, New York. Boomer started with an mm. F. Uh, Fordham. 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 I think it was them. I went to go take their photo and it was like a U-Haul truck. 
didn't, I mean, they didn't, even have, didn't even have anything branded at all. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, I don't want to take a photo of this and welcome a U-Haul truck because that would almost be like, that'd just be rude to them. So, you know, I didn't, that was the one the, game the one time you didn't actually post the one it. time I didn't post one because I was like, I didn't want to do that to them and, and embarrass them. But uh, you could have done some collage work and made it look like a Fordham truck of some sort, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm sure they understand. Yeah. 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 Anyways, right I, I just wanted to post good. that one. So have a great backcast, guys. Good stuff. Thanks. Yeah. We'll try. GBR. The BetCast Picks of the Week. All right, guys. Um, well, I don't know if it's as good of a uh, week of college football that we have the last few weeks, um, but there are some, some penalizing um, conference matchups, um, and hopefully I can be a little bit better uh, I had a rough week last week. I tell you, there's some there's some crazy games. Out there. Uh, let's start with uh, a game that's going uh, on the same time that Nebraska takes on uh, the Fighting Illini. Uh, K State, eleven and a half point favorites at Oki State. Uh, Oklahoma State has been playing at least three quarterbacks and seems like a complete mess, but somehow beat Iowa State like by by double digits. I think. Uh, no, they K-State lost. Iowa State, oh, they lost. Iowa State yeah. beat them. Maybe uh, Oklahoma State's been terrible they're... this year. Other than yeah, beating Arizona State, they're yeah, yeah, they're a mess. Yeah. yeah. So K State, eleven and a half. What do you think, Boomer? Man, yeah, I haven't watched much Big Twelve as I as I normally do, you know, in a season. But geez, Oklahoma State's a mess. Uh, K State's been scoring, you know, a decent amount of points, you know, against everybody. You know, they lost to Missouri in a in a you know, bad scenario, but geez. Missouri looks good though. Yeah, Missouri is pretty solid team, and you know, K State could still score some. I mean, that's a. I, I think K State gets the win without any question. Do I think that's too many points? Maybe. Too many points. But yeah, it might be a. Boomer few says too many. too many points. Talon, what do you think? Yeah. No, I'm taking Kansas State. Let me I'll take that. Go Wildcats. All right. Yeah, I don't believe in Oklahoma State at all. Yeah, I picked this uh, because of that. So I think I, I probably am going to take the Wildcats. We'll see. Um, the marquee uh, showdown in the Big 12 for one last year before this becomes an SEC game is the Sooners versus the Longhorns at the Texas State Fair. Uh, I've been down there for this. Boomer, I think you've been um, at least on the fairgrounds as well. It is a crazy atmosphere, split 50-50. I've never seen anything quite like it. Um uh, Longhorns favored by six and a half. What do you think, Boomer? Yeah, this is one of those games that uh, should be on you know most people's bucket lists. You know, even if you have no rooting interest in any of the teams involved, just for the spectacle of it and the fun. It, it's you know seeing something like that. It, this should this should be you know something everyone should go see. Ah, uh, this is a fascinating game. It's just you know Oklahoma's kind of seems to be relying on defense so far this year. Texas is a good team. You know, sometimes they've, you know, they look good against Alabama. There's no question. They're a good team. And they've kind of been lollygagging a bit these last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, I, I actually might take Texas at minus six and a half on this one. I think they can win by about a touchdown or so. That it, it, It's a tough call, but I think this is, yeah, that, that would be my pick right here. So. Yeah. Obviously under the key number of seven. What do you think, Talon? I'm going to take Oklahoma to win it. Ooh, all right, all right. Oklahoma on the upset, huh? Yeah, I think Brad Manuel is doing a great job getting that defense, uh, you know, to 
had a completely different defense than they were last year. And I think yeah. having Gabriel back another season in that offense, I think he's it's like tied for third and touchdown passes this season. So I'm going to take the Sooners. All right. So Texas not ready for uh, the big time quite yet, apparently. All right. All right. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm waffling on this. Obviously I like it under a touchdown. Um, that may not be the case come Saturday morning. Um, should be a good game. regardless. Yeah. yeah. I think if you want Texas, you take it now. So yeah, yeah definitely. All right. Um, here's the one that I thought the number came in uh, a little high Maryland playing very well. Uh, five and oh, I believe now at least. Right. Um, and taking care of business, uh, going into Columbus against the Buckeyes. Ohio State favored by 19 and a half. This is the number that's probably money usually comes in on the favored. So I think Ohio State's going to be closer to 21 almost. Um, that seems like a, a big number. I thought this would open up uh, closer to maybe 15 or, or 16. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Talon, what do you think about this? I would take Maryland to cover. I think their offense can put up points, and I don't know how much I trust Ohio State quite yet. Obviously, they go in and beat Notre Dame, but I think Notre Dame gives them that game a little bit in the fourth quarter. Yeah, um, I mean, that's a one play from losing, yeah. obviously. Yeah, um, so I would take them to cover. I think Ohio State probably still wins by at least 10, but I think the Chirps can keep it close till the fourth quarter, and then Ohio State starts to pull away. I think there's just a little bit too much of a talent gap, and Ohio State seems to always win these games. So, yep, Boomer. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree with that. I think Maryland can cover this. I think they can, you know, play close enough to start the game to keep it from being a blowout. And yeah, they might get a score too late to keep it under that spread. I mean, Ohio State didn't beat Indiana by a whole heck of a lot this year. It was like twenty point spread and. Yeah, it didn't look great against Youngstown, even. So, and, and Notre Dame was a low-scoring affair for Ohio State. They haven't really been that explosive offensive team. So, unless you unless you think they're going to completely shut Maryland down, which I don't think they're going to do, I think yeah, Maryland. I mean, cover that spread. It, yeah. If you're taking the Buckeyes, you think they're going to come out and play their best game of the year by far, and and just um, take care of business. Uh, there's a lot of different ways Maryland could cover this. Start hot and hang on. Backdoor cover. Um, just kind of puts around and keep it around two touchdowns. Um, lots of ways that Maryland could, could keep that under 19 and a half. Um, all right. Uh, let's go from one big boy to the next Alabama trying to get back on track uh, with last week's win over Mississippi state. Um, two and a half point favorites going to college station. Boomer, you've been down there to college station, you know, it's a tough place to play, but uh, in Alabama has, has lost AM. and uh, What do you think is going to happen this year? They have, but I I rarely trust Texas A and M in any situation. <laughs> give me Bama on that one. They'll win that by you know at least five or six. I think. So. Yeah, I like that number. Talon. Yeah, give me Bama. I think they come in. I think Jalen Miller was playing a lot better than he has been. I think he he got a you know that start last week against Mississippi State to kind of get himself his feet under him. Um, I think he can. He's actually a really good passer. I think he just you know moment was too big against Texas. I think they come out and win by ten. All right. Uh, back to the Big Twelve, UCF. Um, still, still reeling from a twenty-five uh, point um, disaster of a fourth quarter where they let Baylor come back and win thirty-six thirty-five. Um, and going to Lawrence, KU only favored by two and a half. Uh, do you think uh, there's a hangover there for UCF? And can KU take care of business? I don't know. Is is Daniels um, healthy again for the Jacks? 
That I don't know. That was my big question. I, be I know he concern. didn't practice on Monday, so that's why I'd be just kind of shy away from this until you know where he's at, you know, status wise. Yeah. If yeah. if he gets announced that he's starting, this number is gonna gonna move. So yeah, snag that um, quick if you think he's gonna start. Yeah, but if you got inside information, <laughs> that too. Yeah, and talk around uh, your friends at Lawrence. Someone's bound to do something. So yeah. <laughs> And I think is Central Florida having quarterback issues too. I don't know how they ended up in that game against Baylor. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just I was surprised the number was as low as it was. And um, as I put it up, I realized it was probably because of the questionable KU quarterback situation. Talon, yep. any thoughts? If Jalen Jalen Daniel starts, I think Kansas covers. Um, I think they might cover anyway. I think uh, their backup, you know, he started the last seven games, six games for him last year. So he's got a, enough experience. I think can't Texas is just too much for him, you know, and they don't have yeah. a ton of depth on the D line going against Texas. So I think they cover no matter what, actually. All right. A couple more guys, a couple more. Um, two ranked teams here, uh, Kentucky coming off of a win versus Florida, but going down to Athens to take on the dogs, Georgia, 14 and a half point favorites with that hook. Uh, Talon, uh, I think Ugga take care of, takes care of business here. I think this might be a game Georgia's on upset alert. Um, they did yeah. not. Well, they were close last week. Yeah. Um, you know, Kentucky just, they're running back, I think had 250 yards rushing against Florida last week. And I think they have the quarterback in Devin Leary to kind of make some big time throws against that uh, offense or that defense that Georgia has where, Auburn's Peyton Thorne couldn't do that, so I think right. I think Kentucky might find a way to win this game. So I would I, I'll take them to cover because I think Georgia's a good enough team to win this game. But I will take uh, I think Georgia's on upset alert this week. All right, Talon saying a little money line sprinkle on the Wildcats, maybe right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Boomer, you, no, I would crazy? definitely. I think Kentucky covers that spread. I mean, Georgia's kind of living on the edge these last couple of weeks. They they have not looked like, mm-hmm. you know, the Georgia the last few years where they were just kind of waltzing through. It's almost they, like they're and, bored. And they, yeah, and they certainly haven't played this season like we expected. I mean, they had the easiest schedule mm-hmm. known to man for returning, you know, defending national champs, and they have not looked good in a lot of these games. I don't yeah. know if Kentucky will win, and I don't, you know, I'm sure there'll be some phone calls made from uh, SEC headquarters, you know, if, if it is <laughs> but yeah, I, they can keep that, on, you know, under 14 and a half, I, you know, Georgia might win this by 10 or so, and I'll be pissed when they do, but, you know, that's beside the point. So, now I think Kentucky right. can cover 14 and a half if you can get it at that. All right. Across the board, take Kentucky. All right. Um, let's see what else we got. One more. Uh, Notre Dame, six and a half point favorites at Louisville. Uh, Notre Dame still struggling to, to score, but they always seem to find ways to win, um, like last week. Um, yep, that pissed me off, Dave. That was a beat I thought I could have had. You know, I, I actually, game. I had, I bought Duke down and got him at like seven and a half. I want to say so. I actually right. won that. Actually won, um, man. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean Notre Dame really easily should have lost the game. I get so uh, Talon. What do you think? Oh man. Um, See, I, I really like Sam Hartman, but I think Louisville's offense is a little too explosive. I think they pro- they could probably get this cover it. I think they might lose last second field goal or something like that. I could definitely see All that right. happen. I don't know if Notre Dame's Notre Dame's living on the edge every week. It seems like they lost one, they won one. Um, well, they, they're not blowing anyone out really. So yeah, they dominated that entire game against Duke, and then the 
fourth quarter, they kind of just, you know, let, let uh, Riley Leonard get going. And, yeah, they definitely should have lost yeah. it. I don't know how Duke allows that, you know, that big touchdown to happen in the fourth quarter. But, yeah, I think Louisville, Louisville finds a way to cover. Yep. Yep. All right, guys. Um, not asking for predictions per se, but uh, what do you think about Nebraska, Illinois? Seeing it right now at three and a half. It's been oscillating around that three to three and a half number. Um, that's pretty much home field advantage, right, Boomer? Yeah. I mean, this is playing neutral uh, site. This is a pick em. If it's in Lincoln, we're probably favored by a few points. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel it's priced about right. What do you think? Yeah, I just, you know, the homer in me would always pick Nebraska in these kind of games. This is why I don't bet Nebraska games, <laughs> just yep. because of, you know, the passion involved in it. I, you, you, listeners do what you want in this scenario. Yeah, we we do not we don't encourage betting uh, Nebraska. Even yeah, 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 yeah. Not, not asking. So it's the game. Well, the game is in Champaign, as far as we know, unless the fire takes the whole stadium out, then it might be here. So who knows? You may right. not be able to bet on Nebraska. If you want to get um, it early, I, I I have no idea how a casino would handle that or how state law handles that. If the game was going to be in Champaign but ended up getting moved to Lincoln, can you bet on it? I, I don't know the bylaws that well. I'd, I'd ask uh, Talon, I'll, I'll, they still think it's 1953, so I have no idea if they would even know. So yeah, uh, Talon, I'll ask it a different way. What's what's the key to Nebraska winning? A pass rush. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a really good point. Uh, I think they've given up like 18 sacks. Illinois has, yeah. uh, and Altmaier is turnover machine. Um, if yes. he's not throwing ints, he's taking sacks. So. Yeah. Let's get pressure on that guy. Let's get a couple pick sixes, whatever. And that that's your I, I love that. It's a good point, Dylan. Is Leonard playing? I know he practiced. Oh. Cam. Uh oh, I don't know. I don't know. Boomer, do you know Cam Leonard? I haven't seen playing? yet. I don't know if he is. I'll have to check. Okay. That would like that would be one of those guys that would get in that backfield. So yeah. and, and their defense, you know, they have they had two preseason all Americans on their D line and they are not, you know, their defense. Yeah. Forty-four to Purdue, so I think we can yep. find a way to win this game. Um, They're up at half. Yeah, which is weird. How does that? I yeah, and I don't think Purdue's anything special. I mean, their quarterback's all right. But, probably yeah. probably helps when your head coach was the DC at Illinois. You might have known a few things to yeah. attack. I guess I don't know. Um, all right, guys. Well, uh, should be. Oh, and here's Vegas Jerk right. getting his stuff in. So he he was looking for lights. Yeah, I didn't see Washington. Wyoming at plus Washington five. State Washington is a five. a dog, dog to UCLA. Um, I kind of surprised me actually. Yeah, that's right. Even once putting a lot of stake in UCLA's defense, I'd, yeah, I'd really take Washington State on that. Uh, they're a good team, yeah. and I think they can beat UCLA. So straight they got a back over there in Wazoo. So Cam Ward is for real. And biggest Jerry, do not know who Wyoming is playing. Let's see if I can find that really quick. No idea. I saw it. Uh, Wyoming and Fresno State. So, yeah, Fresno's ah, solid this year, too. Yeah, Fresno. That's, yeah, Fresno right. didn't cover last year. Wyoming, if you have the altitude working for you, his hockey would be fun to note. So. Nevada. I'd be fun to note for hockey. So, yeah. yeah. You don't think about maybe Missouri, LSU. At plus Missouri's at plus six and a half right now, and LSU can't stop, uh, can't stop anyone. So. Yeah, at least take the over in that game. <laughs> that game at one point was live betting out at over a hundred for the total, um, and they hit it right. <laughs> I mean, it that's insane. Yeah. Was that LSU no defense at all? LSU was up nine in the fourth quarter. Come on, 
Oh, two late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I tweeted during that game that was that was like setting a record for the most dumb decisions in like a fourth quarter ever, and every team lived up to that. Jeez, they did a lot of stupid stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, let's see if we can uh, get out of here with some parting shots. And I will start with Boomer. What do you got for me? Well, uh, my parting shot this week, um, uh, on Friday, September 29th, uh, we had the AFL uh, Grand Final between uh, Collingwood and Brisbane. I know I brought it up with a couple people on Twitter, and a few of them said that was the first uh, AFL game they'd ever watched. And if you did, that was a hell of a final. I mean, that's one of the best. A great ever. example of why that sport is fun to watch. It was exciting. It was action the entire time, and it came down to the wire. So, if you've never yeah. watched AFL, please give it a shot. And you know, you can root for St. Kilda with me. Join, join that bandwagon, which has never gone anywhere, but it's part of the fun. But yeah, next season when it rolls around, give Australian rules football a try. I think a lot of people would actually enjoy it when you get a chance to watch it. So I know it some people did. On it was great. So, Fox Sports won a lot more. Um, Often this season in particular, so apparently yeah. it's doing yeah, well enough. Yeah, that they're putting it on a, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, so, that's cool. All right, Talon, get me out of here. What do you got? Um, I think all I'm going to say is, you know, I think Huskers find a way to get this done this weekend. And uh, horns down, I think Sooners Sooners take down Texas. I'm I'm a I'm a little partial. I'm a part time Sooner fan, so. Um, yeah, horn, horn in, in your spare time when you, you, you don't have Nebraska well, not, reporters not, are not on TV. When I'm not absolutely depressed about the Husker game, I find a way to turn on the Sooner game. But it, it just it right. hasn't happened this season. I've been hurt a lot, so yeah. <laughs> especially after this Fair weekend, enough. there was no turning on the Oklahoma game. I was I was deep in my bed, just sad. I actually went to the to the game again, and it's not it's not pretty. Not pretty. Not pretty. All right, guys. Good stuff. We covered uh, everything over 90-some minutes. Um, Thanks for uh, hanging on with me. And for now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. A Heard at Sports Network production.